Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. James is continuing what he began back in chapter number 3. And we're going to dive into this in just a moment and see how this is a continuation of what he's dealing with. It's a continuation of what he's trying to put before everyone. It's a continuation of of his statements that he began back in chapter number three and a thought that he began back. He actually began back in chapter number one, but a thought that he kind of culminated and brought to a head in chapter number three, and he continues to deal with that. He continues to look at that. But we're going to be looking specifically at verse number six through verse number 10 this morning. The reason I want us to understand these things is because there are at least two verses that we find in this particular passage of Scripture that are well-noted verses. Verses that we quote a lot of times. Verses that we consider a lot of times. But I want us to be clear on what he's telling us and what he's instructing us in these verses. So let's read verse number 6 down through verse number 10. We'll pray and get into the message. Verse number 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your minds, ye sinners, and purify your heart, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we bow and pray, we understand and realize that we have nowhere else to turn but to you because with you are the words of eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear and to obey what you say to us today through your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, James is picking up what he began in chapter number 3. Chapter number 3, verse number 13, down through the end of that chapter, he deals with two types of wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge. It's, it's having an understanding of. And he's telling us here, he said, Who is a wise man and endowed with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. 
But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, what wisdom? The wisdom he just mentioned. The wisdom he just talked about. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He tells us out of that, out of that heavenly wisdom, out of that wisdom that is from above, is the fruit of righteousness, and that it is sown in peace of them that make peace. Then he picks up in verse number 1 of chapter number 4, and again, we've said over and over, and I'll say again this morning, these chapter and verses were not in the letter that the church received. They're, they're broken down for us to be able to locate what we need and locate what we want to deal with, and they're, they're a good tool to have. But they were not part of that when the letter was sent. But he says here in chapter number 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that ye war in your members. I want us to consider as we look at this, again, James is building on his previous statement that he made back in chapter number 3. And as we look at this... I, we, we can't really and truly understand verse number 6 down through verse number 10 without having a clear understanding of chapter number 3, verse 15 through the end of the chapter, and then understanding these first five verses, which we covered last week. In these first five verses, James deals with some things. He deals with... In these first five verses, he deals with the heart of the problem. He mentions here in verse number one, he said, From whence come wars and fightings among you? He's writing to a church that is divided. There are some that are wanting to promote themselves through recognizing people that can be a self-promotion to them. He's writing to those that are showing partiality. He's writing to those that are doing different things. And they're doing these things trying to lift themselves up. He's doing things, try, they're doing those things. And, and we come to this point, he said, from whence come wars and fightings? And he doesn't say, from whence come wars and fightings and stop there. He said, from whence come wars and fightings among you? These are things that are happening. These are things that are going on. And James, as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd of these people that have been scattered because of the oppressions, because of the afflictions, and they've, they've gone abroad, James is writing to them and he's encouraging them and trying to warn them of some things. And he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
And he answers that question. He doesn't just ask it, but he answers it. This is the heart of the problem. He said, come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members. He continues in verse number two. He said, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Ye have not because ye ask not. James is dealing with the heart of the problem. He's dealing with the fact that they are embracing their own sinful passions and in embracing that, they're they're harmful to one another. Where does divisions come in a church? They come when this one thinks they're right and they think this one is wrong and And there's divisions, there's wars, there's fightings. Those things happen because of the the things when people lift themselves up in their own lust. They embrace their, their own lust, their own desires to lift themselves up. This is the cause of the fightings. This is what's happening. We, we, we see that in, in verse number 1, 2, and even down in verse number 3, he said, You ask not and receive not, because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lust. What were they doing? What did we see in chapter number 3 that they were doing? They were lifting themselves up by bringing people in that were more noted, were more well-dressed. They were putting them... It it became a popularity contest. Isn't that what happens among God's people sometimes? It becomes a popularity contest. It becomes, well, well, this one is is being raised to this point or this one's being raised to this point. May, May I just insert here that that... Here at Gospel Way, we try to have a culture where that is impossible. That is the reason we remind each other every Sunday that we're all in the same need of grace. There are no big I's and little U's. There are no spiritual giants and and, uh, little young ones that don't know anything about God. We're all in the same need of grace. We all need a touch of God. We all fail God. We all are failures during the week. And we need the same grace of God to lift us up and remind us of His redemption. James is telling them that they are embracing their own sinful passions. That's the cause of their fightings. What is the ramification of the problem? Look at what he tells them in verse number 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is an enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God? He's telling them that the ramifications are the things that you are practicing, the things that you are allowing to go on is offensive to God. God sets us in the body as it hath pleased him. Isn't that what he told us? It is God. The Bible, Paul told us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, he told us, 
He, he went down through a long list and he said, can the eye say to the ear that I have no need of you? Can the foot say to the hand that I have no need of you? And he tells us at the end of that, he said the body is many members and all these members are one body and we are set in that body as it pleases God. God puts us where he wants us to be. God places us in the body as an essential part of that body and we... Every member of that body is an essential part of that body. I know I've told you the story. I cut my thumb back in 1999. I cut it in half with a skill saw. That knuckle that I no longer have was an intricate part of my body. I can't bend that knuckle anymore because it was fused together and made one longer bone. That knuckle is not there, therefore I cannot hold on to things with my left hand that I used to be able to hold on to with my left hand because I have no knuckle to bend that portion of. That knuckle was important. That cartilage that was in that knuckle was important. What are you saying? I'm saying that there is not one person that's part of God's church that is not essential to that body. Not one. Not one from the, if you want to say from the least to the greatest, but there is no least to the greatest. The greatest is Christ and we're all the least. We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of what God has for us. And for us to lift ourselves up We are stealing the glory of Christ and in doing so, it is offensive to God. That is the reason there are no big eyes and little U's. The problem is that it offended God. And because of that, it caused a failure in the relationship. What did he tell us? He said to be a friend of the world is what? An enemy with God. Why? Because it is contrary to how God is trying to direct his church. We are not, we we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are different. God told us that we are a peculiar people. A lot of people look at some of us and say they're more peculiar than others. But we are a peculiar people. We're a, we're a royal priesthood. We're a, we're, a, we're a generation that God has, has shown his grace to and in showing his grace to us, we're different. We're not to be friends of this world. We're, not, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. A friendship of this world hinders the relationship that we have with God. Then he begins and picks up in chapter number 6, and this is where we are this morning. The interesting thing is in verse number 5. He mentions here in verse number 5, he said, he was telling them, he said, do you think, The scriptures say in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. He's telling them, this is 
the, the Bible's telling us that our spirit, if it is our spirit, it lusteth to envy. But we're to be walking with God. So he goes on to tell us, and, and what we've got to understand when we come to these scriptures, he is trying to call us back to the grace of God. This is not... This is not the how-to portion of James. This is not the how-to shelf in the library where we go find a book on how to do this or how to do that. God is telling us what will happen if we are drawn back to Him. If we clearly see what he wants us to see. He tells us in verse number six, he said, but he giveth grace, he giveth more grace. That more grace is, is an abounding grace. God, James is telling them where you have failed, where these things are, where these fightings and these wars and these things that are happening. He said, if you'll just look, if you'll just look, there is more grace. There is grace that abounds more than your fightings. There is grace available. There is grace that will clear this up. There is grace that will make the relationship right. There is grace that is available for us. He's reminding them of who they are. Look in verse number six. We'll read verse number six. And uh, he says here, but he giveth grace, more grace, abounding grace, grace beyond. He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. It is not, if, if we misread this verse, we think that we humble ourselves in order to receive grace. We got it wrong. We receive grace because we are humbled that there is nothing that we have to bring to God. It is not that we have done some self-promotion or took some class that, that the heading of the class was my humility and how I obtained it. That is not what this verse is telling us. This verse is telling us that as we recognize that we need grace, there is grace available. He's not telling us that we have to we have to fall down somewhere. We have to act some particular way or we have to do this or we have to do that. He's telling us that the more we recognize we have a need for grace, the more grace there is. It's all about recognition. It's all about realizing where we are. It's all about humility. Understanding that we have nothing to offer. 
Let me ask you a question. When did the prodigal son get help? He was in the pig pen. He was eating with the hogs. And he said, there's more at my father's house than this. What happened when he realized that if he turned to the father when he realized and understood that that there was more grace there, when he realized he could go back and he could could live under that grace, when he was on his way down the road, the Father came to meet him. What What happened in that story? The Father kissed him. The Father put a ring on his finger. The father put a robe on his back. The father put sandals on his feet. The the father gave him a hug. The father made a meal. It's about the father. It's not about us. It's about the father. And it's about recognizing the grace that the father has for us if we recognize that we don't have anything to offer. We have nothing to bring. It's recognizing and realizing that we have nothing to give and He has everything to give. So the way of return is not what many people think. It is about humility. But that humility is understanding we have nothing to give. Let me put it this way and maybe we'll get a hold of it. We don't even offer our humility to gain God's grace. God's grace is already available. Our humility is our understanding. We need God's grace. That's the reason we call ourselves every week to remind ourselves that we are in need of the grace of God. Every one of us are in need of the grace of God. If we are in need of the grace of God, then it is the grace of God that is our way home. Look at what he says in verse number 7 down through verse number 9. And if we're not careful, we will look at many of the things that we see in these verses, and we will look at them as imperative verbs. They're indicative. He's telling us, submit yourself therefore to God. He just told us that we needed, if we humbled ourselves, recognizing we needed the grace of God, what does he say in verse number 7? He said, submit yourself therefore to God. If you recognize you need grace, submit yourself to that grace. Just fall into the grace of God. Fall into what he has for us. He said, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He is not talking about a person. He's talking about the same thing he was talking about in James chapter 3, verse 15 through the end of the verse. What did he say earthly wisdom was? 
He said it is earthly, sensual, and what? Devilish. That's what he's saying here. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil or resist the devilish. Resist that earthly wisdom, that wisdom that is causing the problem, that wisdom that is causing you to build yourself up, that wisdom that is causing you to try to lift yourself into a position. Lay that aside. Resist that. Submit yourself to the wisdom that God has for you. In verse number 17 of chapter number 3, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is not about you fighting the devil. You know how I know that? Because you ain't no match for the devil. God's not going to put you in a war, in a position in a war where he knows you're going to die. You're no match for the devil. I'm no match for the devil. What, what happened when that guy decided he was going to cast out demons in the New Testament? He said, in the name of Jesus. He used all the right words. You know what the demon said? He said, Paul I know and Christ I know, but who are you? What are you saying? I'm saying we are no man. And God is not place, placing us in that fight. God is instructing us through James. He is instructing us that if we submit to him, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. That, that earthly wisdom, that devilish wisdom, that, that sensual wisdom, that'll be gone if we'll just look to the grace of God. Why do you think we over and over and over, why do you think we are instructed throughout the word of God to continually remind ourselves that we are in the need of grace? Because God wants us looking in one direction. Where does he want us looking? He wants us looking to him. If this was all about my fighting the devil, if this was my instruction on how I fight the devil, then it is my victory, not his. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about us submitting ourselves to that, that, that heavenly wisdom, that wisdom that is from above, that wisdom that is first pure and peaceable and, and, and gentle and easily entreated and full of mercy and full of good fruits and submitting ourselves to that. And he said, when we submit ourselves to that, all that other is going to go away. He's saying that he has grace available. He said, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. If we, again, if we're not careful, we'll look at that word of drawing nigh to God and we'll think it's an action on our part. It's us falling into the grace of God. Us understanding the grace of God. Us being acceptive of the grace of God. Us wanting to live under the grace of God. He's telling us, and instructing us that we are to remind ourselves of the grace of God. 
He said, he'll draw nigh to you and cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is going to do all that cleansing? What's going to do all that purifying? The grace of God. It's not me <clears throat> getting my... <laughs> and and if, if you're old enough to remember the ghost and Mr. Chicken... What what did the 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 ladies that they they told them the only thing that cleaned them stains off the you need Bon Ami. I'm telling you this morning you need grace. It's the grace of God that's going to clean us up. It's the grace of God that's going to help us. It's the grace of God that's going to purify our hearts. It's the grace of God that's going to keep us from being double-minded. It's the grace of God that calls us back to that heavenly wisdom instead of that earthly wisdom. If we do these things... He tells us in verse number 9 and 10, he said, be afflicted and mourn. What's he talking about? Recognize who we are. Recognize that we don't. We're, we're not able to do these things. We need his grace. He said, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. These are the things that's going to happen. If we go the route of earthly wisdom. Then he says here in verse number 10. This is the protection of the Father. He says humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what does it say? He will lift you up. You cannot pick yourself up by your own bootstraps doesn't matter how hard you try. Can I just be honest with you? You don't have any bootstraps. You have nothing to lift yourself up with. It's the grace of God that lifts you up. It's the grace of God. It is the protection of the Father that we see in this verse of Scripture. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. God is instructing us through James that we are to fall into the grace of God. And in that grace, we will be at home. And being at home, we are with the Father. And with the Father, we have all the protection of the Father. And because we are at home, and because we are with the Father, and because we have the protection of the Father, we can rest. Because it's not us. It's Him. It's not an effort for you to put forth. It's a recognition that you are nothing and he is everything. Yes. It's that song that we sing. In my hands I bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. No wonder Paul said. I have nothing to glory in. Save in the cross of Jesus Christ my Lord. Yes. Paul knew. Paul understood. 
James is instructing us. James instructed them. <clears throat> you've, you've seen these leadership conferences that different places and different people have. And, and the key thing that everybody always looks at when they consider a leadership conference is somebody just blindly falling back and somebody else catching them. Can I promise you, if you'll just blindly fall into the grace of God, He'll catch you every time. His grace is sufficient. His grace is there. His grace is available. His grace is a gift that He gives. It's not one that we earn. It's not one that we manufacture. His grace is sufficient. It will carry you through any and every trial, any and every temptation. He told us, and, and we're not even going to get into that, but he told us in 1 Corinthians, did he not? There's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but with the temptation, make a way of an escape. And if we went back and dove into that passage of Scripture, we'd have some clearer understanding also of what he's telling us there. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. Let's fall into the grace of God and let's rest in his grace.